I never wanted to feel my life was at the whim of my boss. And I always did. Hello listeners and welcome to Squeezing the Orange of Social Science, a podcast co-hosted by myself, comedian Akinomo Bitan, and Professor Dan Cable. On each episode, the two of us pick apart peer-reviewed and published social science papers and we squeeze them apart for their best bits so that you, the listener, don't have to sift through pages and pages of academic literature. What's up, Dan. Hey, hey, hey. I tell you what, we, we should really just record that and lay it mm, under. <laughs> you reckon? You know what? It kind of gets me going. Exactly. And I yeah. also feel like the um, the precariousness that you could flub it up yeah. brings the tension into I the see room. see in your eyes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> anyway, I love this article we're going to cover today. The agony and the ecstasy. I tell you what, Dan, go, going through, because agony and ecstasy is like a, a great way because it was, I, I really sensed both of those emo this is this one actually moved me emotionally a lot of times yeah. trying to trying to get through this one yeah i think uh first in terms of who wrote this uh gian piero petriglieri sue ashford and amy werizensky and they published this in administrative science quarterly and what is so timely about this is how um, the gig economy seems to be not only taking off, you know, it's really substantially taken off. It seems like it's growing rapidly. And there's so many people that don't really work for, quote, real companies, unquote, anymore. They're just like, kind of hang a shingle and do your own thing. It's kind of, yeah, it's, it's, it feels like it's the birth of like the modern workplace hippie, where you're trying to both exist within and without a framework. So it's this kind of understanding and recognition that I got like, I got to make money. Like I got to like, there are bills to pay and I do have things I wish to contribute to society. I'm just not really interested in doing it under the framework that most people are. Yeah. And just to, to jump onto the shout outs with the authors as well, the full title of this study is Agony and Ecstasy in the Gig Economy, Cultivating Holding Environments for Precarious and Personalized Work Identities. So we're back to the beefy title. That's a big one. <laughs> Once you get to the colon, you're going to have to really work at it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like, a, sounds like a kind of thing that a couple of doctors might say. <laughs> whilst, whilst, whilst they're by the water cooler. <laughs> Anywho, one of the most important concepts in this organization, uh, in this paper, is this notion that an organization, for many people, for much of you know the last whatever hundred years, was the holding environment. So the idea is, it gave you like this space in which to work. Like, okay, say you're a lawyer, right, and like you work in this firm. And let's say like there's this hunk of time when you're making phone calls. There's a hunk of time when you're like at the water cooler talking with colleagues. There's a hunk of time when you're like, I don't know, making some copies, whatever it is. That whole time, you're still a lawyer. Your identity is like, I'm still a lawyer. That's, this, that's part of my lawyering thing because I'm at this firm doing lawyering work. Let's say that you are like a lawyer or a writer, like the, 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 one, the one that I'm remembering, this writer who made this comment like, if I'm not writing and I'm on my own, then I'm not much of a writer. And it's this idea that if you're outside an organization's holding environment, you really have this question as to what you are if you're not doing the thing actively. Like, if you're a comedian, but you're not being a comedian, then are you a comedian? It's really very tricky, isn't it? It's a very, it's a very, very tricky one. And 
what it starts to, I guess, crack open here is this kind of like the lived experience. And we're going to wade real deep into these waters, but there's benefits of being in a, I guess, a manufactured holding environment, which as Dan mentions, where as long as you're employed under that organization, like that's your role, that's what you do. You could be terrible at it. You could be like one of the worst lawyers, but you're like, hey, here's my card. If you need help with anything. And pay is still on the way. Yeah. And Do you know what yeah, I mean? It's coming in. Uh, whereas when you're now in, in the gig economy, so you're in the gig economy, like if you go like a week without work, you now start to suffer a bit of a crisis of self. Like, what do I who identify? I? Yeah, who am I? Because what have I done the last week? So the article here is kind of is looking at the, the agony and ecstasy of this. And the agony is when you are in a an organization, the I guess the, the agony is spread out. Like when you're by that water cooler, you're talking with a lot of colleagues about all of the things that kind of like suck. And when the ecstasy comes in, you might get celebrated at like a, a team meeting or your name might go up on like the website or you get like employee of the wall or something. So that, that ecstasy is, is shared and distributed. So what happens when you're outside of that framework? What happens when you're in the gig economy and those agonies, those lows and the ecstasy, the highs are just all yours? What does that do to mm. an individual mm. and what can an individual do to better navigate their, yes. their career. And let me um, sharpen that in my mind. I, you know, a way that I was also thinking about what you said is when you're on your own, it's this high wire without a net feeling where both the agony and the ecstasy are sharpened. They're, they're both escalated or they're more enunciated because you know that at any moment you could fall, but at the same time, you and your work is yourself. That is to say, if you work for a big company, the company kind of becomes your reputation and it, it like holds part of your person, part of your identity. If you don't have that, then you have to fashion your own. And so everything you do is basically an extension of you. It's you.ink, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that that means that it's both higher highs, like I'm on my own and I'm making it. It's me in this world and I, I'm, I'm successful and I'm sort of uh, finding a way through. But then if I am not doing that successfully, there's that question of like, it's, it's deteriorating myself. Yes. And that's, that's agonizing in a way that if you don't have an employer, you may not ever understand. I mean, I'm not sure I can fully understand it and maybe the way you can actually. I, uh, as we start to dig into this, I know that at many times I could identify with some of this. For, for example, sometimes I go off and I try to be a, quote, writer, unquote, and I try to write a novel. Um, you know, it's for the general public and it's based on research, but it's still a book that is um, not really part of my job requirements, let's say. The, the school likes it, but it's not like what they're telling me I should be doing. Yeah. And I actually saw a lot of myself in here in terms of these strategies of, like, making a holding container. Yes. I actually can see it and I felt it. But I imagine for you that notion of the agony and the ecstasy would be sharper because you don't have, in this case for me, the London Business School kind of holding you. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's very it's, – it's a lot more real uh, in that sense where you don't have the reprieve from it. Like, you, you don't really have as many opportunities to just kind of, like, step away 
And that's in terms of like headspace and lived space as well. And one of the benefits of working under an organization is there's, there are, there's a good number of days where you could be at work physically, spiritually, you could be somewhere else, man. You're just like, I kind of just know yeah. what needs to get yeah. done today and I'll do it. And you know what? Tomorrow, I'll try again. You're kind of mailing it in a little bit. Yeah. You're flying at half mast. You can. You can do oh, it. You yeah. can do it quite comfortably. I think I did that for and six it, years once. There you go. And it's it's a day. <laughs> it's a day for a lot of people. Um, but when you're when it's all on you, you can have those days. But the way that you're going to feel about it, you now kind of feel like, am I now contributing today to my downfall tomorrow? Yep. So there's a lot yep. more on your way. So with this group uh, of researchers, what they did is they went about doing a qualitative study, which I really enjoyed the qualitative study. Like the numbers are really great because you do have these measures when people do quantitative studies. You have measures where you can see like jumps and shifts more distinctly. With the qualitative studies, I find for myself, it seems to reach more to the humanity yeah. of the question That's and you're right. allowing individuals to express. And this is what they did. They got about 65 five individuals who work in various roles in what we could describe as the gig economy. So essentially self-employed. They ranged from, I think it was like IT and design work to like artists and writers. That's right. So people consultants, who consultants, graphic designers, yeah. film producers, independent publishers, uh, average age was 46, but it ranged the whole way from 27 to 74. So this is like a really nice spread. Yep. And I think yep. even in terms of like their experience, it ranged from like people who had been at it for like two years, to people who had been at it for like 20 plus years. That's right. So this was like a really nice yep. broad group. And what the researchers did is they sat down with them for between maybe like an hour and two hours. Yep. And they asked questions yep. in terms of like, what is it like for you? What does success look like for you? What does the ups look like? What do the downs look like? And they went, had these conversations through what is it like being in this kind of gig economy? And then through that, what they were able to do was get these, take these transcripts and then start analyzing them to start finding okay then where are the the patterns the similarities how can we group those together and then once those are grouped together what kind of theories can we then begin to pull and that part is really important and I, I gotta pick up on that because you and i have talked about this a couple of times because we've dealt with some of these qualitative articles but in case this is a first time listener i i do think it's really important just to note what akin just said many studies you already have your theory and then you go in with a tight methodology with a pre-designed survey and then you show it quantitatively. And that's great. There's a lot of beauty to that type of science. What this type of science allows you to do is go in without knowing what you're looking for exactly. And that allows you to develop theory from the data. So it's organic and it's emergent. And sometimes what it does is actually lets you learn things rather than sort of think you already know and then you prove, yep, it is that way. And so it's beautiful, and it's also, uh, for me, as, as, as Akin pointed out, a little bit more personal and humane. Because rather than it being a survey with numbers, you're getting raw, visceral quotes of people, you know, saying, like, here's one that I, I really enjoyed. And again, it kind of just shows what we mean. There was an artist that uh, mentioned that he occasionally, he said, I wish I could work in a company under somebody who would basically tell me what needed to be done. And the benefits would be a nice thing, too. <laughs> Pretty sweet, right? You know what I love about that quote? On the one hand, it's like, wait a minute, you want to be micromanaged? Like, 
So you're saying that there are times when you would rather just be told what to do, which on the one hand, it sounds kind of crap, but then it kind of makes you question like, well, why? And that's what the paper's about. It it helps you see why there's a certain comfort to just being told what to do. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful, blissful place. So of the 65 individuals, there were only two of them at this point that were looking for some sort of employment. The rest of them were not, but the rest of them could like could see clearly the benefits of having that structure because what they begin began to find when they started uh i guess analyzing was this idea of 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 holding uh what was it holding um what is it holds the self yeah yeah, yeah. And, and what it means yeah. by that is this kind of like this these kind of like holding methods so they were able to break this down oh, I see. Into holding environments holding environments I gotcha. thank I gotcha. you very much yeah yep. the holding environments they were able to kind of find four key things that kind of get cultivated through these connections and the or or or, or the ways in which the the holding environments can be built should i say it's probably better to say it that way so this was routine being one place being another people being the third and then the final one being purpose so we can possibly start to talk about a few of these things because what i found reading this is that for me the gig economy seems to be made out of people who for whatever reason are not necessarily thriving within an organization Mm -hmm. so they escape that confined they describe it often as like a cage Mm -hmm. like they Mm -hmm. escape that cage but then they also what it seems to be doing is that we then go on to start building a cage of our own yes so it's like all of this freedom that we sought to find and indulge in and to to like liberate ourselves we we get that and then immediately what we realize is that we need a lot of the similar structures that we escaped from. One of the things that is um, that popped out is there's kind of three things that happens when you don't have one of these organizational holding uh, environments. And one is lack of direction and support. So you kind of like you're cut loose. Second one is loneliness and freedom. So yeah, it was really nice to have all autonomy, but like it's sort of lonely sitting around for nine, ten hours on my own, looking looking at the screen. And then the third one is this notion of direct exposure to the market. You sort Oof. of are raw. That's that notion with the benefits, to be honest. You're kind of like not much net under you. And what happens is that absence of that holding environment, it leads to this notion of this feeling, I guess, of precariousness of both work, like literally income streams, but also identity. Who, who am I uh, if I'm not doing work? And it also, though, leads to this notion of, like, trying to personalize the work. So that if nobody's telling you what to do, then work can become self-expression. If you're a writer, if you're a film producer, if you're doing this work, you can decide which bits you take on, how you want to do them. And so the final product is kind of you. And I think there's something precious about that but threatening about that i think that's this this paper i think that what's so powerful is it shows that it's a tension that can't get resolved that that was the bit that was that really kind of like wrenched at me there a bit because it's it's like you can kind of you can visualize both worlds and as with many things in life there's always going to be a state of balance so on one side of it, it's employment under an organization. And then that comes with its own set of fresh hell. 
And then the other side of it is the independence where it's like, I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to do it independently. And there's an entirely new hell, which is awaiting you there. And you mentioned like loneliness being one factor of that as well. It's like someone's fresh hell could be in one of the previous studies that we looked at is you're in an open plan office. You can't get any work done because everyone's chatting. People are coming up to you. You're at the desk besides the copy yeah, machine. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, look, man, I'm just trying to get these numbers. The doctors in. are talking. Collins, <laughs> just putting me off of my my falafel and halloumi wrap. <laughs> but then the other side of it is, oh yeah, okay. So now, like you know, I work by myself. One that also comes with all of the work you did not have to do before. So when you work independently, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I need a bit of legal knowledge. Oh, I need a little bit of accounting knowledge. And or, when I'm oh, doing I need to that, figure out this system. Funnily, when you're doing that, you don't feel like it's real work. See, that's the funny thing. If you're a comedian and all of a sudden you have to make a bunch of copies or something or you're going and you have to sort of create your website, there's this weird sense in which you don't get to call that your work because you're not, you're not producing at that moment. You're just, there's no backstop there. And I think that that's actually part of, they call that a productivity focus. It's like when you have this precariousness of identity and so on, then the only time you feel like you is when you're producing the actual end result. And that's actually th- threatening. That's part of the agony, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really, it kind of reminds me of the movie The Matrix. It's my favorite film. Uh, I'm not saying it's the greatest ever made. It is. Uh, but it's my favorite. Slash, it is. And there's the brilliant red pill, blue pill scene where, uh, you know, Morpheus, he's offering Neo. Cause like Neo works in an office. He works in his cubicle. He's a or regular so dude. He thinks. Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and Morpheus essentially <laughs> is giving him a way out, but he's like, yo, bro, you take this red pill. There's no coming back. And I feel like that's what it is. It's like when you get that taste of of freedom, like if you've worked under an organization for a majority of your life or even just a part of it, when you get the taste of actually realizing that you could produce something for yourself and make some money for yourself, you I think the rush that you get from that is a bit it's it's definitely a high. Like I've worked for several companies and I remember like getting like my first paycheck for like different jobs that I'd earned, like worked at. And I was a bit like, oh, that feels pretty good. But like, I feel like it felt like so, there was like a, it was an odd transaction to it where I was a bit like, well, yeah, they just pay me every month. Like regardless of like how hard I work or, you know, how great I am or how poor I am, I get this paycheck. Whereas when I started submitting invoices for things that I had created from, from scratch, from nothing, there was a rush that came with that, yep. where it was yep. like this pride of yep. having created yep. something yep. from nothing yep. that someone else was a bit like, that's worth so much, I'll pay you yes. for it. And yes. so when you've experienced yes. that as an individual, yeah. and I believe this is partly when we talk about the ecstasy of the gig economy, is very often that's what you're kind of like pushing at. That's it. Because there's a sense of life in that feeling yeah. that cannot be easily yeah. replicated yeah. outside of that. Here's a quote um, in terms of like this producing work and identity when you have these conflicting motions. Here's, here's a quote that I liked a lot. It says, it's really dramatic working alone, you know? It's really, really emotional work in a lot of ways. It's emotional because you own it. 
because you own your future. Every single day, you own your future. You're so directly accountable for every single thing that you do, and it's remarkably rewarding, and it's also very stressful. That just sounds like a nervous breakdown. Yeah, like, I, actually, it's interesting. This one later intermingles not being with not doing it, yeah. meaning like in their mind, I am not a person unless I'm doing that act. It's, it, it is a bit it's right close to the edge, isn't it? Yes. This is why I found this one very, like, emotionally stirring. Because, like, I know individuals who've started their own businesses, uh, people who have gone, like, full uh, free time or contractors. And there's there's this franticness to that kind of, like, way of living yep. where you mentioned, like, you know, walking that tightrope with, like, no net. And you're just, it's like... It's like when you step out onto that tightrope, you're doing so not knowing where the end is. So, like, it's scary enough walking a tightrope when you can see, you know, 10 meters ahead is where I've got to get to. But when, if you kind of, like, imagine it doing it from, like, a a great height where the wire itself is within the clouds and you just keep taking another step, another step. And at some point you turn around and you can't even see where you started. So you're just like, my only option is to just keep going along this tightrope. And you're just always in this constant state of one, one bad step. And And sometimes it's easier just to kind of like, you know what, just have a sit on the rope and just have a bit of a hang on. Yeah. Yeah. Not even hang on. Just like have a sit and just be like, I just, I just need a moment. Like I just... I just need to chill because I can't have every day that I live just always be like, mm. oh, my God, is it going to be? Yeah. It's just yeah. too much. There's like, literally one of the quotes that person talked about not looking down. Yeah. Just just don't just don't look down. And another one said this, this was a coach, professional coach said he had no brand, only his name. He's like, the name is saying, take me as I am. I am who I am, the good and the bad. And it's this idea that if that's not enough, then I'm going to fall. And um, you're putting all this together. And, you know, I don't want it to become hyperbole. But I think that one of the things that's beautiful about this, this, this article, you know, this piece of science, is just how identified you can become with the quotes and how raw and visceral the knowledge seems to be that they're that they have brought out so like i almost could read the whole thing again now it's it's almost like a journey <laughs> it really you was know yeah uh, listeners maybe you should go read this one like, this, <laughs> yeah, this, this one we shouldn't be squeezing <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is the one where we you should just what? hand them the entire yeah, orange go, go have fun be like peel it and take uh, an afternoon <laughs> kill it yourself um what what else um one of the things there's one more quote i just had to put out there and then i thought we could get into how people cultivate that personal holding environment because Yes. You brought that up. And that, that really is, in a weird way, the practical part of this. Yes. This is how people recreate what they need without recreating the organization. Yeah. And so that's really cool. But this one quote that just somebody said, retirement means nothing to me. I kind of want to die in harness. I want to keep doing what I'm doing forever. And again, wow, that whole notion of in harness, like <laughs> – it brings to mind like an old workhorse that's just pulling the carriage until it plops over. And that's what he wants somehow. And it, again, what that does for me is it, in a very visceral language, shows that this is everything to him or her. That's an incredible uh, illustration of what we're talking about. Yeah. So, 
Uh, what would you say about, you, you know, before we dive into what they're finding, your personal holding environments, you know, of these different approaches, you know, there's personal routines, there's physical places, there's like significant people, and then this notion of the purpose you put into your work. Which one of those do you find yourself leaning on the most to create your personal holding environment? I think the biggest one for me was definitely routine. Um, I feel one of the, the challenges of... And again, this is, I guess this is what I was kind of like alluding to earlier when I say there's this idea. It's like we want to kind of like escape like the nine to five, for example, because we're just a bit like I should no one should tell me that I should be here at nine and I stay here till five. And, you know, I'm my own man and give me give me freedom or give me <laughs> or give me death. And then they, they unsheath the knife and you're a bit like, oh, wait a second. That, <laughs> oh, where, where do I sign? Let me I can be here between those hours. Um, but like routine, like when I when I start. When I started um, majority, major, like majority freelance lifestyle, that was one of the things I had to kind of like kick into place immediately because at first it was kind of like fun. It was like, oh, sweet, man. Like I can kind of like roll out of bed, have some breakfast, flip open the laptop, let's get it on. But then I kind of realized that that getting out of bed started becoming later and later yes. and later. Yeah. And I was a bit like, oh, I don't like that yeah. because partly I'm missing out on the day. But then also it's like, I don't like the idea of waking up and then just opening a laptop mm-hmm. immediately. It's like, I've not really had a chance to. So one of the things that I then started doing was just setting a daily alarm. And then part of that routine, which I created for myself, because I was a bit like, okay, so the problem that I had previously was waking up, jumping into the shower, sitting on the tube, I'm then in front of my desk. So I was a bit like, okay, I'm going to set my alarm for reasonably early. And I'm just going to make sure I just get some in time in the morning. Where whether it's like a nice breakfast, whether it's exercise, whether it's maybe even like one or two episodes of like a TV show first, but just something where it's like, this is just for me. And then I'm just going to kind of like then get into the day that way. And then once I start work, it's very often from a more positive place. And I found in summer, especially waking up super early and just like going for a walk and just being a bit like, oh, lovely, man. Like, you know, now Mm -hmm. I just feel like, you know, I'm I've not. My my day doesn't start being defined by work. It just starts with just like just have a little bit of time just to live and breathe. One response to that is that you by doing that, by having these um, let's call them routine, personal routines, you're exploiting the benefits of not being under the the sort of boss's arm. You know what I mean? Like you're sort of getting some personal benefit out of it. And then the second thing is that's quite positive in terms of productivity because you're getting centered. You're getting your head right. You're kind of getting ready to produce. Yep. So there's a sense in which that is a sort of pre-work, but it's very enjoyable to you. Yes. Here's a quote um, that isn't just the same, but I found it interesting that uh, this is a person that doesn't go into an office. And um, she said, I still shower and shave as if I were going to a workplace separate from home. The discipline makes sure I don't get distracted. It's a practice. It's an act that puts me into work mode. Which is, again, which again is like, it just kept on reflecting this idea of, of bouncing out of one prison to create another for yourself. And maybe the second one, though, isn't a prison as much as like, this, I mean, it's intellectually a cafe. Yeah. You're like a prison you can't get out of and you're forced to be there. And it feels like the bars are really strong. The other one is like, I walk in. I'm not told to be in. I want to walk in. 
while I'm there, I kind of do things my way. I'm not given the swill that all the other prisoners are getting. I yeah. get myself a latte because today I get that and tomorrow I might get myself an Americano. You know? And so this idea of like you're creating a situation, a cell, a holding container, it's yep. more your way. Yeah, I kind of see it as a difference between being in like an open prison or being in like maximum security. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like <laughs> I'm a bit like, look... <laughs> You can you can you can try like whatever you want to like escape the fact that at some point you're gonna have to sit down and do some work. So like if your way of dealing with that is to get up every morning, shower, shave, put a suit on, and then just go to the cafe to make yourself feel all big and important. Do it. Like, I'm not saying don't do it, but, like... The bills still yeah, need to be paid, yeah, just I, to be clear. Yeah, we still... And I kind of feel a bit like... I feel like this is partly why people do bounce from organisation to organisation. It's like, to to some extent, we acknowledge we're going to get locked up. Like, but, like, I'd love to find somewhere where <laughs> where I'm confined. Yeah. I like the, the routine of it. So some organizations, they do that with, like, you know, their flexible working, the number of holidays you might get per year. Wear your own clothes, like, you know, just, like, dress quite casually. Uh, the location, so when we talk about places in terms of these holding environments, yeah. they might have, like, a location, yeah. maybe, like, large, bright windows and, yeah. you know, have certain departments next to each other, uh, create a bit of, like, atmosphere. Maybe there's, like, a radio in the office or something the people is really important as well a lot of people might like change jobs because their their boss for example they don't have a good relationship Mm -hmm, with them mm -hmm. or maybe they don't have Mm -hmm. best friends or a community in that sense of work and then finally the other one was purpose as well where they're a bit like i can do the job i'm skilled at it you know there's a lot of it that i do like about it but it's not really serving a purpose for me so people do bounce and i feel like when people are bouncing around it's individuals that in their bouncing they sample or they they nudge towards this gig economy and there's something very attractive of if i am gonna be like locked up like let me build my own prison essentially like yeah in the movie personalize the prison that's really nice um i wanted to point out something that struck me as you were just talking right now about how we have to go in the prison because we need the money and that, it, you know, we, we have yeah. to pay for life. I loved how it goes a little broader than that, though, and this becomes a little more existential. This one graphic designer, he had independent financial security, completely yes. rich. Yeah. He's like, I wouldn't have to work if I didn't want to. But then again, how would I then define my life? That, see, this is what I mean That's when I say bigger it was, it was than money. so emotional for me, That's man. bigger than yeah. money because what we're saying is there's multiple types of prisons one of them is this need to actually pay bills. So we got to create value and the world has to give us money for that value. Like, that's yep. one thing. This is different. This is saying in this life, we need to know who we are. We have to define ourselves. We have to sort of use an identity to define ourselves. And um, that's more existential, but maybe also as important. Oh, 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 yeah, I would say, yeah, it's definitely as important because like that's a, it's a great example using that as well. Because when I read that, it was partly I wanted to give this dude like a good shaking. Like, come on, man! Like, just go traveling. Like, Stop out of it. Yeah, like chill out, man. <laughs> but then it reminded me of um, 
which study did we do? There was a study that we did where we did discuss this idea of like the importance of purpose and how it can yes. have a positive experience on your mortality, right. essentially. Right. And there was similarly a case where it was a bit like, if you've achieved quite a lot in your life, let's say you're one of those people who are fortunate enough to be like, I don't know, in their 20s or 30s, and you've pretty much like secured yeah. like financial yeah. freedom and you don't have to work. You just... And it, it, for a lot of us, it might sound luxurious, this idea of just kind of like, I never, I wouldn't have to work. I'll just do whatever I want. After you've done a fair bit, yeah. Yeah. you're kind of a bit like, I, I want to like contribute. I, I, I want to like, do wanna, something with my yeah, skills. Yeah. I want to, I want to shine my identity outward. Yeah. Yeah. There's this fun book um, called Delivering Happiness by Tony Shea, the person that started Zappos.com. And the shoe he, company? Uh, yeah, now it's the shoe company and all that other stuff. But back in the day, he was um, like 25 years old, and he sold a company to Microsoft for $250 million. And he went on like this two-year spree. And that, that two-year spree had a lot of traveling and like $200 lunches and stuff. And it ended up with him buying an apartment building, knocking out all the walls and throwing raves where he'd buy everybody all the drugs and everything. And then he oh. re- he's like 27 years old now, yeah. and, and he has this quote in the book. It goes... I realized that, shit, I got 40 more years of this to do. And all of a sudden, it sort of dawned on him, like, I can't do this for 40. This isn't, this isn't enough. And so, you know, $250 million, now he's got whatever, $250 billion, But it's still unlimited amounts of money. It still doesn't help you figure out how do I reflect my identity into the world. Yeah. How do I have meaning? And so... um you know, we got to start moving toward a wrap up. There's probably a couple of other things that we could say about, like, I feel like there's a couple more things we could say about these, these solutions to having, when you craft these personal holding environments, like we talked about the routines one a little bit, but like, I think this physical places one is really interesting. And I, I don't know if it's a place you go, but something that I, that's the one that I find most useful for me is when I want to write and work in a way that isn't the sort of London business school task thing. I literally go to a cafe. But I was really interested in this um, software engineer that described his home office as a fighter pilot cockpit. And part of what I loved about that is like, like how it was exciting and potentially dangerous in a way. Like, like it was like put him in this sort of Buzz Lightyear kind of mode of like, it's all up to me. I really enjoyed that part. But he said, um, when I'm in that physical state, by that he means that office, it's like I'm omniscient. It really isn't very relaxing. I didn't consciously set out to make it like that, but I wound up involving it um, that way because I wanted everything at fingertips reach. I mean, it's just interesting. I kind of have this vision of him being like basically in a closet with a computer and like a sandwich and a a jug of coffee. Swivel chair, (laughs) like probably like three monitors. Lower the boom, Charlie. (laughs) Wait, what's your what's your uh, what's your beverage of choice when you hit the coffee shop up to do some writing? Got to do tea for some. What type of tea are we talking? Regular black tea or breakfast? Breakfast Breakfast Some breakfast tea, a little bit of milk. It's funny because I go there enough that they now know. It's almost like if you go to a bar, like they go the regular. Yep. yep. You know, it's like that. <laughs> I walk up now and they just start preparing the breakfast tea. <laughs> but, you know, it is, it's super fun for me. I have these headphones that I got that are like really good Bose noise canceling ones. And that's part of the routine as well, actually, because I pop those on. I put some electronic music with no, no voices and I can lose four hours just writing in a way that if I'm in my office at work, it simply doesn't happen. It can't happen. It doesn't happen. So that's one. Um, and then let's see, you mentioned the significant people one. 
And I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to say around that one, but um, I could read a quote just to like help the listeners. Yeah, yeah, let's lead in with the quote. Okay, well, like, here's one. This one writer said, I have a friend who's a writer. She's a woman whom I really think of as a colleague, and I talk to her a lot. That's the person I'll call for advice. And this is somebody that tried setting up a writer's group first, and it totally flopped. Something about like trying to create a support network that didn't work, but having this one... It's not really a colleague because they don't really write together and they're not in an organization together. Yeah. But it feels like they're a kindred spirit of sorts. Yeah. And that like centers her and it lets her feel like she's a writer too. Yeah. And I, I found that that's often what's – it's like it's one of the, the big benefits of having like a, a BFF at work, having like a best friend at work is – our jobs, they might be technical, they might be physically laborious, they might be, they might, they, they could demand quite a lot from us. But very often with organizations, they may not be set up to support us emotionally. And the very real thing that I've experienced, whether it's employed under an organization or doing things independently, is there's times where sometimes really what you need is just someone to talk to. Like there's just, there's this purging of the emotions and just being able to express the way that you feel, yep. have someone listen. That's that and ideally someone who could kind of like relate as well. And it just helps you just to know a bit like, you know, you're, you're trying something a bit different. And, and, and again, this is like whether you're under an organization or you're doing this independently. There, there's, there seems to be this real benefit of just being able to have people to yeah. to talk to. Yeah. Like I, can't, I don't really want to try to make it sound too, I guess, poetic, but very often it is quite a struggle for people, whether it's your career or other aspects in your life, where it's just a bit like sometimes it's just really nice to just know that like there's, there's people out there. And it doesn't yeah, always have to be network. heavy. That's a support Yeah, network. sometimes it could just be people that you just goof around yep. with. Or, and if you are alone on your own, yeah. working eight, 10 hours a day, yeah. that's part of that loneliness that people experience. You know, we're going to have to close here, but uh, one of the things that I really loved about this is the idea um, of creating vitality. And I want to end with this. The agony and the ecstasy together uh, end up with a sort of, I'm going to call it a vitality, and it's what makes that precariousness useful, or the word they use is generative. So you have this precariousness, and it creates agony, it creates ecstasy, and the way that that creates a, a generation um, is through this vitality, and I think it comes really close to why I wrote that book, Alive at Work. So here's the thing. It says, the vitality of this working self is the sense that one can be fully alive in one's work. And so here's a quote by that. It says, I see that life is work and work is life and that a life well lived is a life where you're doing your passion and you're doing what you love. Life and work are melded into one. When I wake up in the morning, it's not like, okay, I was in my life. Now I have to go to work. And I, that quote for me in some ways summarized what these people are deriving from this agony and this ecstasy. That's a vitality that what I do all day long is me. It's not, most people kind of feel like they have to shut off to get through yes. work. They have to shut off what's best about them to get through it. And in the book, I say that, um, you know, it's, <laughs> it shouldn't be the case that work feels like a commute to the weekend. It should be the case that work, which is most of our waking hours, is a reflection of me. And that's what these folks are deriving. They're, they're deriving a satisfaction that 
what I do all day long reflects my identity. And so that pain and that threat is generative in that sense. And for me, you know, that's sort of like what it's all about, this whole article. That's what it's all about. Yeah, and that's a beautiful note as well because there's an element of that where you, you, you realize that you're more in control of your life. And I feel like that's the beauty of it as well, especially when we kind of consider why people would put themselves through, you know, these extreme highs and these extreme lows. There's an element of being in control and being a bit like, oh, the life that I'm living, I'm kind of like manufacturing the good stuff that comes out of it. That's it. So I think as we dismount then, just to note that this is an increasingly large segment of the economy, this notion of the gig workers, and the idea that there are these four routines that, you know, there are like four types of connections that if you are one of these people, you might grab this article and read more about it, but these appear to be methodologies that you can use to recreate this holding container, this cell as it were, but in a way that's personalized. Totally. All right. Thank you so much for doing this article with me. Oh, thanks, Dan. This is, yeah, this is, I'm going to go to the toilet and have a little bit of a sob. (laughs) 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 Listeners, thank you very much for rocking with us. Uh, uh, Week on week, the uh, the audience and listenership is growing. So thank you all very much for for returning and coming back. Uh, When you see us on on social media, like, do feel free to hit share, hit like. Let's, like, keep spreading the word so more people can enjoy the benefits of these research studies without having to read them. <laughs> <laughs> <Lovely>. Ciao. <laughs> Take care, peeps. Bye.